Welcome to this edition of True Talk, where we're going to be discussing here, what on earth am I supposed to be doing? What am I supposed to be doing? It is a question that so many people have, because so many folks are working on jobs where they're not fulfilled, and they're trying to find their place. It's that tremendous conundrum that so many individuals that are enrolled in universities and institutions of higher learning, and they want to know, what am I supposed to be doing? Their great challenge is trying to decide on a major. And it is not uncommon for many of our college and university students to change their majors two and three times before they land on something to get a degree in and then work in a field totally opposite. But we take our uh, approach from, from Scripture and we're looking at Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 through 13. Notice, God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And notice what he goes on to say. That then you'll call on me and you'll come and you'll pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This thing about finding our purpose in life, what we're supposed to be doing, God already knows it. It's not really a guessing game. It is not something, contrary to popular belief, that you decide, rather you discover what God has already decided. It's as though God has hidden treasures on the inside of you and you go about like on a scavenger hunt and you're discovering the treasures and then you have to put the dots together to say, what do these have in common? What do they mean? What do they lead to? Who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? What am I called to do? What am I born to do? What is that thing that when you see somebody else operating in something similar that, that piques your interest, it makes you come alive? What is it that when somebody else is talking, it makes your baby on the inside of you leap as though somebody is talking your language and it, it makes something come alive on the inside of you? So when we ask these questions, it helps us to begin to develop some great, great answers I think that God has in store for us. Uh, too often, many people have just been have lived their life from a standpoint of just saying, just find your passion. Just find your passion and your passion will automatically lead you to your purpose. Well, not necessarily true. Because most of you, if you think about the first person that you ever fell in love with, that was passion. And that doesn't mean that that was it. And I'm going to tell you this, if people would be honest with themselves, they know that that person that they first had this passion about knew how to turn them on from a, a you know, a, a, a biological chemistry kind of a way, but it didn't mean that that was the right fit for you. You know, sometimes what makes you feel good and what will help you to do good are two different people. And because you had this passion, with Slick Willie, with Joe, because Helen knew how to put it on you. 
and you assume that because you felt passion, chemistry, and fireworks, this must be the one. Not necessarily so. You can make a grave mistake from the person that knows how to push your buttons and get you hot and steamy and turned on, and that can be one of the most manipulative things to be led by your feelings instead of by the spirit of the living God. And when you are led by your feelings, and listen, we are Christians. The Bible is our text. We get our principles about how we are to be led in life, not by our feelings. Passion is a feeling. For the just, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, the just shall walk by faith and not by sight. The things that you can perceive, not, in, in other words, the just shall walk by faith and not by feelings, not by the senses, not by what you can see, smell, taste, touch. Here is, is not about any of those things that you can do. It's, it's when God, who is a spirit, speaks to our spirits. God is a spirit. He speaks to our spirit. God leads us. God says, I know the plans. And you see, we assume that we're the captain of this ship. You're not the captain of anything. No, no, no. We're submitted to God. If, if anything, we, we, we are the co-pilot. God is the pilot. God is the pilot. God is the captain. We can be a co-captain, but God is the captain. God is the captain. And as we yield to him, he knows the, 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 the path that is charted out for our lives so we don't just follow our passions. A lot of people have just said, follow your passion. You, many people, if they followed only their passions, they'd be broke and miserable. So it's not enough to just follow your passion. Develop a skill, a knowledge, a talent, an ability, some interest that is a need in the lives of other people. Master that. Master that. And in the process of mastering something that is useful to others, you will, as it were, stumble into what is your purpose. But it is not always what you may think that you are just passionate about. I know some people who are passionate about music and they can't sing. They can't play an instrument. And I met one man and he just, he loved music. He loved being around music musicians, singers, band members, and all of that. Guess what his calling was? To manage the band. But he had no musical talent, but he loved music. He loved the art. He knew that something came alive with him, so he found out he couldn't play an instrument. He had no talent, no rhythm there. He, he didn't have the voice to sing. He couldn't, he wasn't coordinated to be able to dance, but he was masterful at Connecting people, booking gigs, setting up the event, getting the hotel, making sure transportation was set up. He was masterful at that. And he loved being around the music. It was his purpose. It was his purpose. But if he, he thought that it was music himself. And if he just went on that passion alone, he would have missed it. But he got around doing something that he was good, which was organizing, setting up, event planning, he, he, planning the tour, scheduling things. He, was, he had great people skills, and it worked beautifully. So it's, you don't just follow your passion. That's really not the best 
advice to a person to follow your passion because very few people can start off in life doing their passion and make a decent living off of it. Very, very few people can actually do that. So uh, stop struggling to find out what you're supposed to be doing and just, just relax. Just relax. Remember Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. The steps, the steps of the righteous, the steps of the, of the godly, they are ordered by the Lord and he delights in every detail of their lives. Every detail. I, I want you to take a look at this little meme. This, this will help you uh, to see. Notice these four questions here. What do I like to do? And then what am I good at? And then what allows me to live out my values? And then what can I give back? When you ask these four questions, notice the red spot, uh, the little red square there in the center. This is where all four of these questions intersect. That's your sweet spot. That oftentimes uh, is, is sort of the culmination of where purpose comes alive in you. What do I like to do? God will not call you to a purpose that you honestly don't like. You may not like it initially, but you will grow to like it. Sometimes here's the issue. We don't know what we like. We like what we know. And God has to take us out of the territory of the familiar to get us into the things that you really like. You don't know what you like if you haven't tried it. Well, I just like fried chicken. And you might really like shrimp etouffee. And when I thought that shrimp was the thing, I was a grown man before I ever had crawfish etouffee. And I said, okay, crawfish, you are better than shrimp. Bye-bye, shrimp. Crawfish has a flavor. How many of you all have had crawfish? Crawfish is off the chain. It's, I'm sorry, it surpasses shrimp for me. Now, maybe we could take a vote. But my point is this. You don't know what you like. You like what you know. But you don't know everything. And so that's why you have to discover what is available because you don't know maybe you have not been exposed to the thing that actually makes you come alive and here's the other thing that I want you to understand in terms of what on earth am I supposed to be doing you don't always do the same thing throughout your entire life there are some people who do but there are many who don't one stage of your life you can do this and another phase God has a different purpose for that because certain purposes culminate in certain stages of your life and then you have to discover or rediscover God's purpose for you for the phase of where you are. You can grow from one dimension and what used to float your boat and now, you know what, it's like I'm tired of this. This is not doing it for me anymore. I thought that this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And then you get in that and you discover that God is shifting your interests. Just understand this. Dissatisfaction is the precursor for change. Dissatisfaction. You have to get dissatisfied where you are before uh, God will then shift you or turn you into another direction. Does that make sense? 
And so I just want you to realize you can't just go spend your whole life chasing passion, passion, passion. Because you can be passionate about something in your 20s and when you get 50, you're just like, been there, done that. I'm ready for something else now. Anybody else in here hungry for something else because you feel that God is shifting you in your life and in your world and you know that this is a big world and there are a lot of opportunities and there are different things that you're supposed to experience and that God might shift some of the earlier assignments of your life because the times are different and the need is different. And so God might shift you. And so you have to be open to follow God. That's why the Bible says that the steps, not the step, singular, but the steps of the godly person are directed by the Lord. God will direct your steps for the stage where you are. You know, when you, when you first are, are young and you've got young children, there's only so much that you can do. There's so much that you have time or energy to do. And as you grow in the things of God, as your children grow up, and now you have some other options. You have some other options. So your life will not be lived with the same expectation on every, in every stage. Sometimes God can shift the manifestation of how your purpose is lived out at different epochs of your life. I want you to understand that without there being any conflict with God, it is not that God is fickle or that he has changed. But you wouldn't expect a two-year-old to be doing the same thing that you would expect a 20-year-old, would you? And as you grow and as you mature, God will then release you. He'll trust you in different dimensions and he'll promote you. And other times he'll just shift your interest to let you know that you've done this and I want to expand you and develop some other areas of you that are in your potential that have never been developed. And so God will expose you and it's uncomfortable because you're getting out of the boat of the familiar and stepping out on the water and the water is always a sign of instability. You go from security or stability to instability, then to greater stability. There is a process from stability to instability to greater stability. But life is lived in stages. It's, it's lived in steps and it's arrived at different stages. You arrive at different stages in your life. And you have to be willing, you know, to flow with God to see what it is that God has in store for you. Remember that there are four things that I, I, I mentioned. Mission. Mission is one. Mission is what you love. Mission is what you love. And then vocation. Vocation is what the world needs. And then there is profession. Profession is what you can get paid for. And then there is passion. Passion is what you're good at. So you've got these mission, vocation, profession, passion. What you love, what the world needs, what you can get paid for, and then what you're good at. What am I supposed to be doing? What am I supposed to be doing? Listen, here's my suggestion to you. Discover who God has made you to be and let that determine what he uh, needs you to do. Ask the question, who has God made me to be? And let that determine what you need to do. You know why? Because here's the principle. The who determines the what. The who determines the what. When you understand who God has called you to be, now you can come into a greater understanding of what he's called you to do. Does that make sense? The who determines the what. The who determines the what. If you've got, you know, uh, three people with you, 
You have to take inventory of who those three people are because those three people can tell you what you're able to do. If a, if a person only had three uh, people uh, to, to, to be able to sing, to go somewhere, uh, you got to look to see who the three are. Can one sing soprano and one alto and one tenor? Or do you have three sopranos? Because if you've got three sopranos, the who is going to determine the, the what. If all that you have is sopranos, if all that you have are, are tenors, you've got to sing something in unison. You've got to do something in unison. So the who determines the, the what. Who you have on the bus determines what you're able to create. Who you have on your team determines what you're able to build. You have to take inventory as to who is with you. So you have to discover who you are because the who determines the, the what. That's why the great identity question is who am I? No wonder people don't know what they are called to do because they don't first know who they are. You see, back in the olden time, your last name was indicative of your trade. The smiths were actually smiths. Silversmiths, coppersmiths, blacksmiths. It was a trade. It connected them to a trade. It connected them to a trade. You knew from your name who you were. You didn't have to wonder. You knew who you were just from that. Now, I mentioned that I was going to share with you uh, 10 different ways that God speaks to us. 10 different ways that God speaks. Uh, God speaks to us, number one, through dreams. Dreams. God can give you a dream and the dream can actually bring a revelation of the mind and the heart of God. You know, my wife had a dream before we had five children. She had a dream that, that she had five babies or dolls or something and she knew we were going to have five. She saw that in a dream. She dreamed almost every night. I don't. I rarely dream. The Lord rarely deals with me in a dream. But my wife is a dreamer. She has dreams all the time. God can warn you about things in a dream. Now let me say this to you. One of the reasons that God uses dreams to speak to us is because dreams do one of two things. Dreams will prepare you for something that is to come or dreams are to bring a revelation of what will come if you don't do something to stop it. Are you listening? So when you have a dream, the dream is given to you either so that you can prepare for what is inevitably coming your way or somebody else's way or it is given to prevent it. It is to prepare or to prevent. A dream is designed to prepare or to prevent. A dream is designed to prepare or to prevent. God gives dreams to prepare you for a bigger future than what you're currently experiencing. Or he can sometimes show you trouble that's coming in a dream if you don't do something to avert that. I never will forget I was in a meeting in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma with brother Kenneth Hagin. And uh, he, he talked about... Uh, in his uh, earlier church that he had pastored, that he, his superintendent of the Sunday school, his wife had a dream. And uh, he worked in the oil rig out in the fields of Texas. And uh, his wife had a dream that he was climbing up the oil rig and that the cable snapped and it decapitated her husband. 
she was so shaken by it and she got up and she told him, she says, don't, whatever you do, don't let them talk you into going up and, and working on the high rig today. And he said, oh, I'm not superstitious. I got to pay that any attention. Well, he got, he got to work. And, uh, and he started climbing up the oil rig because they asked him to get up and, uh, and climb the oil rig and, and, and to work up there. And, and, and he, he, he got halfway up and all of a sudden he came back down because he thought about his wife's dream. And he said, I'm not going to do it. He says, you're going to have to get someone. Get Joe to do it. He, he, he's, he, he doesn't mind. And so he came back down the ladder. And Joe said, oh, hogwash, I'm not superstitious. I'll do it. And Joe goes up there, and he's working up there about 10 minutes. The cable snaps and decapitates this man. His head falls and hits the Sunday school superintendent in the back. You see, his wife's dream saved his life. His wife's dream prevented it from happening to him. So a dream is designed to prevent or to prepare. There are sometimes things that are coming in the, in the same way that you remember when Pharaoh had a dream and, and he needed somebody to interpret it and Joseph interpreted and Joseph, uh, you know, he had these two different dreams and he says the dreams are, you've had two separate dreams about cows and stalks of corns and stuff. He says really the same dream is just telling you that you're getting ready to have seven years of prosperity, fat years of, pro- of great prosperity, and then you're gonna, it's going to be followed by seven lean years. And you need to store up stuff in the seven years of prosperity for the lean years. It prepared him. He showed him what was going to come. He couldn't stop it. God was showing him what was going to come so that they could prepare themselves during the good times because he, show, he was showing them lean times are going to come. God can speak to us undoubtedly through dreams. Joseph was a dreamer. And uh, he could not only did did he have a dream, Joseph had a gift of interpreting dreams because God speaks to us through dreams. It's one of the primary ways that God speaks. You can find so many people in scripture that, that deal with that. One of the, uh, the rulers uh, during the time of the sentencing of Jesus, the man's wife again, I don't know why women is always dreaming. Maybe it's something eating late at night or something. I don't know. (laughs) But again, this is the leader's wife had a dream and she said have nothing to do with this just man she said because I've been troubled of many things in a dream concerning him in a dream in a dream so a dream uh, is, is a very clear way that God can actually speak to you and he can protect your life or he can bless your life he'll give you a dream and show you things that are to come and when God gives you gives it to you in the dream. The dream is as clear concerning things in the future as though it were a past event that has already happened. So God speaks to men and women through dreams. That's one way that God speaks to people is through a dream. The second way is that God speaks through visions. God can give you a vision and the vision can actually begin to prepare you for things to come. Now, Dreams and visions are a, a little bit different. Dreams are, are, are bigger, more encompassing things, and oftentimes uh, dreams are things that happen while you're asleep. A vision can happen while you're wide awake. You can fall into a trance and have a vision. When I was 14 years old, the Lord Jesus appeared to me. I was not asleep. I was wide awake. It was 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and he walked into my bedroom. And, and so I, I had an open vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, 
I'm not telling you what I read out of somebody else's book. I'm telling you what I saw with an open vision, not lying on a bed. I'm wide awake. I'm standing up. I'm seeing a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and it impacted my life. It was that vision that empowered me in ministry through a vision experience of Jesus Christ appearing to me. So I believe strongly in vision because it launched me into ministry. And, uh, you know, Jesus instructed me to touch his forehead. When I did so, I fell out under the anointing of the Holy Ghost and as a Baptist boy began to speak in other tongues for the first time. My hands began to burn like I was holding two hot coals of fire. And, uh, and he said to me, I am putting in you what is known in my word as gifts of healings so that when you lay hands upon the sick, that it shall effect a healing and a cure and evil spirit shall depart. And my palms burn for the next three days. All of this happened in a vision. I'm, I'm there and I'm watching and seeing. This is not something in fairy tale land. This is something that I'm, uh, and, and I was not under the influence of drugs nor alcohol. I had not smoked anything. I still haven't. And, and it was a dream of sobriety. I am seeing into the spirit realm. It is as real to me as seeing you. So God speaks to us through various visions. He gave Daniel visions. And these are things that you can actually see right while you are wide awake. Uh, Peter fell into a trance and saw a vision. And so you can see visions while you are awake and dreams often happen while you are asleep. So God speaks to us through dreams. God speaks to us through visions. Thirdly, God speaks to us through angels. Angels. It is interesting that God can actually use an angel. In fact, the word angel, uh, angelos, it actually means messenger, messenger. Angels do not have authority to speak on their own accord. They are simply messengers. I want you to think of an angel as a courier. Think of them as the U.S. post person. They are a mail carrier. They, they only have authorization to carry the mail. They don't have the authority to tamper with the content. They have no uh, uh, editing. You, you know, if, if you find that your post carrier has opened up your letter and corrected grammar, that is not in their job description. They have overstepped their authority. Angels, likewise, have no authority to tamper with the content of a message that God has for you. But God can use angels to be able to deliver a message. The apostle uh, Peter was in prison. In the 12th chapter of the book of Acts, he's in prison uh, and they're going to really punish him severely. And an angel appears to him. He's in maximum security under four quadrants of, 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 uh, of, of guards. And an angel of the Lord walks in there, slaps him on the face and says, get up, put your clothes on. He thought he was seeing a vision. It was an actual angel. Uh, and when the angel says, get up, and then all of a sudden his his bracelets both from his hands and his feet fell off and he just walked by the doors and, and everybody else is still asleep and they had no explanation of it and, 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 and when, the, when the king uh, sent for him the next day nobody could find him and he says all of those of you who were in charge of having him you will die and he had been rescued and, and there he went to where the saints were praying in a house and, and he knocked on the door and a little girl 
came and, and, and she said, oh, it's Peter, it's Peter. And all of the other grown folks in the room, they said, baby, it ain't Peter is in jail, baby. That ain't Peter. And Peter was steadily knocking at the door. The girl got so excited that she ran to tell the people who it was and left the man out there. He still couldn't get in. And an angel had walked him out, had busted him out of jail. A real angel. And he, he thought that he was dreaming until he had gotten a certain distance and he realized, I'm really actually awake and I'm out of the prison now. And he went to the house where the saints were, were gathered and they rejoiced. And, uh, and he continued preaching the gospel and then went on to another city and kept on preaching. But he had an experience with an angel that liberated him. Now listen, one of the reasons, I'm not telling you something that I think, I'm telling you what I know. Uh, where I started Word of Faith was in East Point. When I first went there on those grounds, two angels appeared. They were older white women that I had never seen before. They were walking around in the parking lot. And they said to me, you're the man that God said would come. We hadn't bought the building. They had no for sale sign on the building. And they said, you are the person that God said would come. And they said, we've been sent here to pray so that you would inherit these grounds. These were angels. They gave me the confirming word of the Lord. Just, they, they just brought that message to confirm that this is the place where you're to begin the ministry. It belongs to you. It belongs to you. And those angels confirmed that word. I didn't have to wonder. When we moved and outgrew that property and came here, right across the street where the epicenter is right now, two older white women, angels, walking the grounds again, saying essentially the same words to me. It had been a Sam's Club. It was an RV place. It was all kinds of places. And they said, we've been claiming this land for the kingdom of God. This territory belongs to you. These angels, I had never seen them before and have never seen them since. They just came with a message from God. They look like regular human flesh and blood people to me. Angels have a unique capacity to appear in solid 3, 4D form. You cannot, it didn't look like a spirit. You couldn't see through them. There was nothing about them that said, it, it's not, it was not my perception or idea of what an angel would look like. But it was the message that identified them for me as angels of the Lord. Why would, they had no connection to me. I had no connection to them. They delivered their message. They vanished. And I've never seen them before and never seen them since. They delivered their message. An angel is a messenger. They will come at different junctures in, the, in your life. So when it was time for me to make a shift, the angels, God sent angels again with the word. He sent angels with the word. So God can speak to you through dreams. He can give you a dream. Uh, in the night, in the day. He can give you a vision. 
He can speak to you by an angel because angels are on assignment and they are God's secret agents in the world. And let me just tell you this, angels are just as real, if not more real than demons. 